Hey everyone, this is Zach, out of character, talking to you, the audience. I make this show because I love weird fiction and I want to share it with you, but it does cost money to produce it. If you check the link in the show notes, you can make a one-time donation in any amount you like to help keep this show going. It's completely voluntary and this show will always remain free to listen. Thank you and enjoy. I heard a knock on my balcony door, and there he was, asking me to let him in. I live on the 13th floor. There's just no way anyone could have gotten up there. It was creepy. It's so real. But I guess that's the power of a good story, isn't it? It stays with you. I went to sleep last night in my bed, but this morning I actually woke up in my living room, on the sofa, and the balcony door was slightly open. Maybe I opened it for air and forgot? The Stranger, Chapter 2, Elfame. Hello and welcome back. I'm Julian Black and you're listening to The Stranger, a radio drama 85 years in the making. I want to start by saying thanks. I can't believe how many people tuned into our premiere episode. I can't really speak for Great Grandpa Thad, but... I think he'd be positively chuffed to find out his work was getting such a warm reception like almost a century later. And it means a lot to me, too. Honestly, I was scared about stepping out of my comedy bubble and my comfort zone. But the risk feels worth it, so thank you. Some of you have tweeted at me with questions about how these tapes were transferred, and if they left any clues that might tell us more about the production. Well, I have a surprise for you. Michelle Gray from Library and Archives, who did the uh, the digital transferring for me, has recorded a special message for you. Hi, Julian. Thank you so much for bringing in these tapes. They're incredibly fascinating from an archival perspective. We don't actually have much in the way of recordings from CWHY Radio. Most of their tapes and equipment were destroyed in a fire in 1939. They went bankrupt a few years later after defaulting on the loans that they took out to rebuild. At first, I thought that maybe these tapes survived the fire, but the tape speeds tell a different story. Reel-to-reel tape hasn't been in popular use for decades, so this is easy to miss, but the speed you recorded a tape at would determine both how much time you had as well as playback quality. It was common practice for a radio station to record its entire output in the event of a complaint being filed at just under an inch per second, 15 sixteenths to be precise. For a pre-recorded radio program, you'd want to record those at bare minimum at 7.5 or even 15 IPS to preserve higher fidelity of sound. The tapes you brought me were mostly recorded at 3.25 IPS, which suggests that they were recorded with home equipment. I suspect that your great-grandfather was recording these himself, most likely for posterity. Another fun little tidbit before I go. Did you know that Thaddeus disappeared mysteriously in 1938? There isn't an abundance of records related to his life, but from what I can piece together, it seems like the police never solved his disappearance. I know he's your family, so I don't want to seem inconsiderate, but there's definitely an interesting symmetry between his life and his art, it would seem. Thanks again, and if you have any more questions, just call me. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, there you have it, I guess. Uh, a bit of fascinating historical context for everyone. I, uh, didn't actually know about Thaddeus disappearing. Actually, uh, Grandpa Teddy never really mentioned him while I was growing up. Michelle was the one who, uh, dug up most of the historical things I mentioned last episode. Uh, this project is making me realize there's still so much I don't know about my family history. 
Maybe as we continue the show, we'll get a chance to dig a little deeper. The more I listen to this, the more impressed I am with the uh, spine-tingling quality of it. Honestly, I don't really have bad dreams, almost never have, but uh, last night I actually had a dream that, well, uh, one of those kids, the ones with the black eyes, he was uh, visiting me. I heard a knock on my balcony door, and there he was, asking me to let him in. But I live on the 13th floor. There's just no way anyone could have gotten up there. It was creepy. It's so real, the way he pleaded. But I guess that's the power of a good story, isn't it? It stays with you, even after the fact. I went to sleep last night in my bed, but this morning I actually woke up in my living room, on the sofa, and the balcony door was slightly open. Maybe I opened it for air and forgot? Well, anyway, enough of my rambling. Let's get to what you really came here for. The next chapter of The Stranger. Tensions between the Relief Camp Workers Union and Prime Minister Bennett appear to be abating for the time being, but the conflict is far from over. In local news, an arrest has been made in the case of the seven missing children. However, Some of the children's parents are not entirely convinced that Ottawa police have the right man in their custody. Sergeant Frank Connors made the announcement yesterday afternoon that his men had taken into their custody a vagrant that they believed to be the stranger. The man was spotted lurking near the D'Angelo home just north of Dow's Lake, the site of the most recent disappearance. While police insist that the man they apprehended matches the description of the stranger and that he cannot account for his whereabouts on the dates of the incidents, the Brown family insists that he is not the man they saw the night of their son Joseph's disappearance. Jonathan and Sylvia Brown were called upon to visit the police precinct as witnesses. Sylvia Brown was the first person to describe the stranger to authorities and it was hoped that she could provide a positive identification of the suspect. Sergeant Connors is moving forward with seeking a conviction, but according to a statement provided by Sylvia Brown to a reporter, she believes that the suspect is the wrong man. She is quoted as saying, I've seen the man, and that's not him. He's too short, too mangy, too unkempt, too... normal. The man, the stranger, looking into our windows from across the street, the night Joseph disappeared, he was taller, and everything about him seemed... Odd, not like a man, but like something made in the image of a man. I don't know that he was a man at all. Unfortunately, when asked to comment on Mrs. Brown's statement, Sergeant Connors was less than generous. Mrs. Brown suffered a tremendous loss recently, the sergeant said. It's not uncommon for a lady under these circumstances to get a bit hysterical. This is the same woman who believes that she saw her son again and that he had black eyes like some kind of feral animal. I am confident that we have the perpetrator of these awful crimes in our jail right now, and I will deliver justice upon him. From all of us here at CWHY Radio, we do truly hope that this painful saga can come to a close soon. Up next, we will provide an update about the moths. But first... I am most sorry for the sudden interruption, but I felt that the remainder of the night's broadcast was not as important as what I have found. It is April 12th, 1935. My name is Thaddeus Black. I am a radio news anchor in Ottawa, 
and I have been making a record of my own investigation into the disappearances. If you find this recording, keep it hidden until such a time as its usefulness becomes apparent. An officer of the Ottawa police came to me in secret. He made me swear to keep his name in confidence, then provided me with a most damning account. According to him, Sergeant Connors, that is, Francis Ian Connors, a man whom we believed had the best interests of our citizenry in his heart, knows that he has the wrong man. But rather than release the false suspect, he has orders from someone with a much greater authority than his own to move forward with the prosecution, and he is doing so without asking questions. And then there are the children. They have been visiting me again and again. I think they know that I am searching for answers and that they wish to either intimidate me or to keep a watch upon me. Sometimes I see them in broad daylight and it is as though no one else around me can see them standing there. Other times it is a feeling like breath on the back of my neck or a shadow like subtle movement at the very edge of my vision. They are beginning to become akin to constant companions. In a strange way, I become nervous whenever I cannot detect one of them nearby. Well, more nervous, at the least. A memory came to me, something I had not thought of in many years. Back in Inverness, I had a nanny, a, a woman from the lowlands, the former kingdom of Fife, specifically. She would tell me bedtime stories plucked straight from Pictish folklore. One tale, in particular, always gave me such nightmares that eventually my parents had a stern word with her. I wish that I could remember her name. The last time I saw her was in 1907. So long ago now. The story was quite fantastical. When she was growing up, many people believed in fairies. Or was it elves? So long ago. I do remember the word Elfheim, a kingdom where the fair folk lived. Sometimes a child would be taken to the Elfheim, and they would leave a pale, sickly imitation in its place. This child, she, uh, she called it a changeling, would then fall ill and die. Sometime later, my father told me that there was no Elfheim. He told me that the whole affair was a hysterical tale told by simple people from a simple time, so that they might feel better about the children they lost to disease. But still, the idea that I could be kidnapped, taken to the Elfheim, and replaced with an imposter haunted me for many years. Now, three decades later on, I see these apparitions, and I know they are real, because despite seeing them before seeing any photographs of the missing children, they were the very same. How else can I explain it? When you take away the impossible, whatever remains, however unlikely, must... Well, you take my meaning. Last night, I saw something else, something I had not seen before. I saw the man himself, the stranger. 
And so I believed what Sylvia Brown said. He is not a man, but some abominable creature. It is a quite clever camouflage. If you were to merely glance at him, you'd not think twice. Just a tall man in a dark coat. But the illusion does not hold up under any scrutiny. For the longer you gaze upon him, the more you begin to see. The proportions are not quite right. His arms are just barely too long, too slim, and the angle at which they bend. His legs, as he walks, appear to bend in ways that suggest more joints than a human man should have. There is no distinct place where his clothes end and his skin begins, or even boundaries between distinct pieces of clothing, and his face no matter how long I stared, I could not make sense of what I saw. There was no face, not as we understand such things. In the dark of the street at night, you could be forgiven for assuming it was covered by shadow, but the shadows would not move as he moved from streetlight to streetlight. I believe wholeheartedly that he meant for me to see him, to see what he really is. In fact, I would wager my life on it. I think that he intends to frighten me, to silence me, but I cannot relent. I need to see this through. I need to know. I will not relent. Thank you again to Michelle at Library and Archives Canada and a big thanks to everyone who took a chance on this show. Thanks to Dave, Andy, and Nick from Four Bros, One Mike. If you want to support us during hiatus, there's still plenty of merch available at the F-Bomb website. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Flex, the amazing folding bicycle. Considering public transit right now is like riding in a giant flying Petri dish, there's no better time than now to try the new Flex Alpha. This ultra-portable bike is made with cutting-edge carbon fiber that's incredibly light without compromising on durability. Get 10% off the incredible Flex Alpha Folding Bicycle when you use the promo code STRANGE at checkout. The Stranger is written, performed, produced, and mixed by Zach Emery. The voice of Michelle was Sarah Letitia Jansen. These events and characters are fictitious. Our lawyers said we have to say so. All brands, sponsorships, and public institutions referenced are either fictitious or used fictitiously. All music in this show is written and performed by Zach Emery and can be found on SoundCloud. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TheStranger1935, or you can give your message to the next moth you see. They are very reliable messengers. They won't twist your words. Whoever told you that is a liar.